I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My brother was in an altercation or whatever, and apparently a, um, a lady hit me straight across the face with a star picket post. And then I've fallen and my head slapped and hit the gutter, completely passed out. There's blood coming out my ear. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. G'day guys, today I bring you part one of our interview with Melbourne Storm legend Scott Hill. Uh, Scott Hill obviously made his debut for the Canterbury Bulldogs in the late 90s, uh, then went to the Hunter Mariners for the Super League season, and then made his way to the Melbourne Storm, and of course he was there on day one when the Melbourne Storm started. Funnily enough, he went there with two of his teammates from the Hunter Mariners, his halfback, uh, Brett Kamali, they had a fantastic combination at the Mariners and took it to the Melbourne Storm, and also his fullback Robbie Ross, and um, Scott Hill has a fantastic insight into both those guys. He'll touch on that at the back end of this podcast. The beginning, though, is the start of his career. Uh, he was really successful in bush footy back at home. He was very young playing A-grade there, which back then was extremely tough. Don't get me wrong, it still is. But back then, it was a very, very tough gig for a 16-year-old. So it really prepared him well for first grade. Uh, he came in and made his debut. Uh, his debut season, he played with guys like Terry Lamb and these sort of fellas. So a lot of lessons to take from Terry Lamb. His coach was Chris Anderson, and he'd be a prominent figure throughout his career. And he talks about his move and how he got down to Melbourne and how rugby league was growing in Melbourne, the way they went about it, the difficulties they faced. He talks about some of the guys in that squad as well. Obviously, Glenn Lazarus, a massive figure down there. And then he talks about the 1999 season, and this is in the last five or ten minutes of this podcast. And if, you, if you're going to skip any part of this, make sure you listen to the last five or ten minutes. An unbelievable story. You, you'll hear a bit of audio in a second that'll allude to what happens, but an unbelievable story for Scott Hill. For a guy that was there on day one at the Melbourne Storm, he misses the 1999 grand final. He was injured, but there are other circumstances that are heartbreaking to hear, and in part two, you'll hear us talk about the season 2000, which is where Scott comes back from injury, and he kicks a number of goals in his career. Very, very successful season uh, the 2000 season, plays for the Kangaroos, plays for the New South Wales Blues, achieves a lot of things off the back of a 1999 season that probably would have ended a lot of careers. But Scott Hill, a very resilient character, a champion bloke. This is part one. Part two will be coming next Tuesday. Enjoy. Scott Hill, what a moment in his career. 
spent the greater portion of last year out with that shoulder injury that cost him a berth in the grand final. And during his recuperation, somebody belted him over the head with a, an iron bar or something. And here he is back scoring a try at Origin level. Scott Hill, welcome, mate. How are we? I'm, I'm very well, mate. I'm very well. The, uh, the rain stopped up here in Brisbane, so, um, yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's, uh, it's just pulled up stumps in Sydney here too. It's, uh, it's a bit weird looking at the sun just quietly. It is, mate. It's uh, it's been pretty pretty traumatic sort of the last week, especially down there in New South Wales. My my, my hometown, um, certainly underwater too at Foster. Yeah, right. No, they 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 definitely got a hit. It's it's been torrential down here. It's been crazy, mate. Take me back to the start of your career. Where'd you play your uh, junior footy then? Yeah, so my junior footy, I played it. I grew up in Foster Tuncurry. I was born in Dubbo, but um, moved to Foster when I was uh, a couple of years old, and um, yeah. Played on my junior league at the Foster Tone Curry Hawks. Went went all the way through through all my juniors to play um, to play first grade um, in my own home country town. Um, was fortunate to be coached by the great Dennis Tuddy from Valmain and won two premierships um, with my two older brothers. So um, a great experience um, through my earlier years of footy. Those two years we never got beat. So for my home hometown. Um, I've never lost a game um, in first grade. So that was a, yeah, it was a really good experience to have someone like Dennis Tuddy as a, a mentor and a, and um, a coach really um, gave me really good, I guess, bones to be able to um, carry myself into the NRL. Mate, you could have done much worse as a coach in park footy, just quietly. <laughs> That's it, mate. It's uh yeah, I tell a lot of people, um, you know, and they go, really, you know, and, um, you know, we won the Clayton's Cup years. So it's only been ever done twice, I think, 1937, and we did it in 90, uh, 94, 95. So to be the most successful country rugby league team. So, um, yeah, it's uh, something to be proud of, that's for sure. What about uh, your junior rep footy, mate? Did you did you play any Harold Matz or SG ball or anything like that? No, it's funny. Look, I... Um, yeah, I played sort of North Coast, sort of under 16s, under 17s, and um, you know, and I had the opportunity when I was 15. I went down to the trial with Parramatta. They wanted me to go down, but I was at, at that stage. I was just starting a, a carpentry apprenticeship, and me and my dad sat down and we just said, "Look, um, you know, the, the best options are if you stay here, and you know, y- your footy will take care of itself." You know, and and as it was, I played six under 16s, and then I went straight from under 16s straight into first grade, and you know. I look back at it now, it's probably the best decision I've ever made, you know, because it, one, it gave me the opportunity to finish my apprenticeship, to stay at home, um, you know, and, but also I was playing against men when I was still 16, playing first grade. And, and that, you know, when you, when you play country footy, when country football was pretty strong at that stage, um, still, you know, it's, it's dropped off a little bit now and it's actually going back to being a little bit more a good competition because they're not, they're not keeping kids in the, in the city as much as what they used to, you know, so which is a, which is a positive for the country rugby league. And, but I, I put it down as, you know, playing against men and I was, you know, you're, you're a young 16 year old and everyone's trying to knock your head off. Um, you know, so you, you learn to play tough, you learn to play injured and, and those sorts of things. And it put me in a really good stead for, for the opportunity I got, you know, within eight months, I was I was playing my debut at the Bulldogs. So, happened pretty quickly. Mate, uh, obviously, you know, the jump to NRL would, would have been big, but you did mention how tough um, the country footy was. Was it, was it did, like, did that make it a much easier transition for you? Like, was, was first grade as hard as what you expected after you played out in the country? 
quite funny. I didn't I didn't feel it confronting it at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was my personality or just I was a competitor. First grade, the NRL first grade at that stage probably wasn't at the intensity and the professionalism that they have now, obviously. But it was just right at that pinpoint where they were going to professional, where Super League was coming in. So it was going to a full-time game, you know. And so, yeah, the the difference now is probably a, a, a lot different, a lot different. Like I was, I think I was like 84 kilos and I was six foot, you know. Yeah, wow. I, I remember Chris Anderson, um, he saw me in the, in the Canterbury under-19s because um, I was originally signed with the Hunter Mariners. But Super League didn't go ahead the first year, so they, they pushed me to Sydney. And I I got pushed. They had already had a full squad of under-19, so they pushed me out into, I think, out in the Canterbury competition into an under-18s competition. And I'd played two years of first grade in the bush. And after six weeks, it was like, to me, it felt like playing with kids. And the Mark Hughes, who was a junior recruitment guy there at the time, and I said, mate, if there's no use for me being here, I might as well go home. You know, it's not doing me any good. And... And luckily enough, they put me up into the 19s and, and started playing 19s for Canterbury. And, and another thing's falling in your, in your line, aligned with you at times. You, I guess you create your own luck, but um, the Dogs won the comp in 96, uh, in 95. And Terry Lamb was retiring. They didn't really have a, they didn't really have a 5'8 to replace him. Um, and Chris Anderson saw me in the 19s and sort of said, he went to the board and said, I want to play this young bloke. <laughs> and he reckons the comment that they gave, he said, he's a two iron with ears. <laughs> that, <laughs> he said, you're kidding that's yourself. A cracker. <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, you're kidding yourself. And, um, and so he said, he said to me, he said, look, I want you to go and play reserve gate. So I went and played reserve gate. We actually won. I felt like it was just another game of footy to me. It didn't, didn't challenge me at all. Um, and it didn't, I wasn't confronted by anything. And then, so I played one reserve grade game for the dogs and then fortunately enough, the dogs weren't going to make the semis. I knew about six weeks, seven weeks out and I was fortunate enough to then go straight up into first grade and had me debut against South Sydney and scored a double in me debut and played the last. And people probably don't know it either. I've never lost a game for first grade for the dogs either. I played wow. five games, the last five games of the year that year and we won every five games. So, you know, there's a, there's a couple of good stories about it. Um, and, the other positive was I had the privilege of uh, playing in Terry Lamb's last five games. An absolute legend of a man, a legend of a, ro- a legend rugby league player, and and just um, to have that, you know, is something you can you talk to people about. Is as I said, it's a privilege and a and an honour. What did you learn from Terry, mate? I mean, you know, you wouldn't have spent a heap of time with him, but that short time you did have with him, what was something that you took from him? Well, the first trip away, we went to Auckland. He said, I learned how to, learned how to make a cup of tea. He said, we walked in the room. He was my room. He said, go on then. you make me a cup of tea. <laughs> that's a good old sort of, you know, that's how it was then. You know, you're, it was a privilege, you know, and you, um, that's something that you sort of, that disgruntles me at times these days. The younger generation don't respect the senior players of the NRL. And that was something you always did. You you know, you felt very privileged to be in the in the presence of these guys that have played the game for a long period of time, and and that's something that you never ever let go of is the gratitude that you have that opportunity. And you know, you see it these days where younger players, I I, I feel that they don't show that gratitude that they should, and it's a real shame at times. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to be part of a good club that always the younger players show their gratitude at the storm. And 
you know, that's something that that club's very strong on, you know, and, but you see it at other, other clubs, you know, and just, you shake your head, you know, and it's a real disappointment, you know, in, in part of, you know, club's culture, I suppose, um, you know, but Terry Lamb, I just learned that toughness, you know, is, is something that you can't inherit. You've got to be either have it, you know, you've got to be tough and you've got to work through things. You've got to play injured. And I, I was just very fortunate and always grateful now that experience to be around those guys like him, um, Jason Hetherington, uh, Craig Polamana, Darren Britt, you know, these guys, you know, again, Canterbury legends to me to have that privilege of having those five games with those guys. Um, you know, I always, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. Speaking of um, respect for, for, from the young blokes, I'm not sure if you saw over the weekend, uh, when Manly lost to South Sydney, was the last play of the game, and one of the Manly boys shoved Benji in the back of the head after the siren when he was on the ground, and Martin Tapao came over and grabbed his younger fella, sort of pulled him up and sort of went, what the fuck are you doing, and like th- threw him to the side. I thought it was fantastic to see. Yeah, absolutely, and that's and that's how it should be, yeah. you know, and you know, Benji's created more about himself, he's created his own, you know, personality and who he is in rugby league, and he's he's made rugby league a better thing a better concept or a better brand in itself um, for, for what he's contributed through his career, you know, and have younger generation not show that respect or gratitude is, yeah, it's really disappointing to see that in our game. Mate, one guy I want to ask you about, you've already mentioned his name, um, Chris Anderson, and uh, he was obviously part of the Scott Hill fan club. He picked you in a number of club teams, rep teams. Tell me about the relationship you have with Chris Anderson. I guess it was just, you know, he saw something in me, as I said, when I was playing under-19s at Canterbury. And Chris is very strong about his opinion, I think, um, and he backs himself. And I guess from my point of view that every time he chose me, I, I was successful and I respected him and I gave him what he knew I could give him. Hence, you know, the reason why I guess he picked me for Australia before I played Origin, um, you know, in 2000. And that was after... I had a pretty tough year in 99 where I did my shoulder and then I got tapped on the head and nearly <laughs> nearly lost my life, you know, um, in my hometown, you know, and, and I had to go through a lot, a lot of work to get to the point where whether I was going to play football again and had a tough pre-season. But to work through a lot of things and then, you know, 2000 probably goes down as one of my most successful years, not winning a premiership, but individually, you know, I had the opportunity to win 3-0 an Origin Series and win a World Cup, you know, and, and I guess Chris Anderson, his faith in me as, you know, a, a, a part to play in that, you know. So we had a, we always had great respect for each other. And um, I think that's the biggest thing with all coaches and players. You have that trust and respect for each other. It's very hard to, to not do the right thing by each other's, you know, in what you do. Mate, that first season for Canterbury that you played, obviously during that year, as you said, like the Super League fell to the side the year before, but as that year went on, it became the real deal. And I always find it interesting to have, you know, guys like yourself that played through that era, you know, depending on where guys were in their careers, the Super League, it had a huge impact on so many guys in in all different ways. How did that affect you? Like when when did you first hear about it? When did you realise, you know, when, when did the Hunter Mariners come back and approach you again? How did it all work for you? Yeah, I was obviously captain of the 19s on a marathon and all got shut down. And so I was still signed with them and I was still signed with Super League, you know, and luckily enough, nearly signed, I'd signed a contract with Canterbury to, to, 
to play for them the next year, which was it wasn't on much money. And for, fortunate enough, I went back to the Hunter Mariners, um, probably as a new face for that top squad because I, I didn't know any of those guys. You know, I was in the 19s and the interaction between the top squad and the 19s was pretty minimal the year before we were the pre-seasons and so forth. And But I, I, I honestly believe and and put it down as probably one of the most enjoyable years of my career. You know, I put it down, you know, I talk about, I played the Broncos on my 20th birthday, um, wow. a Friday night at Topper Stadium there in, in Newcastle. We beat the Broncos on the Friday night. On Sunday, we flew out for Paris. Uh, challenge. <laughs> on, the, on the Wednesday night, I was at a bar watching John McEnroe's band play and the Champs-Élysées in Paris. So as a 20-year-old, um, things were pretty good. Pretty far um, from Foster, mate. Yeah, a long way from Foster. But we had a great bunch of blokes. Um, God bless him, the late Graham Murray, our coach. Um, was great people, man. Um, yeah, we didn't do as successful as we would have liked in the Australian competition, but we were fortunate enough to make the quarterfinal, go back over and play Wigan at Central Park, the old Central Park, which is a, what an amazing atmosphere. What an amazing sort of opportunity. We beat Wigan and in, at Wigan. And we come home and, and uh, we knock the Sharks off at, at uh, Shark Park and, and we're on our way to a final against the Brisbane Broncos in Auckland, you know, for a for a 20-year-old mate. Um, that year was was uh, was exciting. What I was going to ask you, in this, uh, in this side that you're in, the Hunter Mariners, the one thing I did notice is that there's a lot of guys that, you would go on to play with down at Melbourne, obviously Brett Kamali, your halves partner, Robbie Ross at fullback. Um, how did that all come about that you would all go together down to Melbourne? Yeah, well, it was funny. It was very close that the home Mariners were actually going to go and merge with the Gold Coast. Yeah. The Chargers to make a, a team in um, a News Corp funded team on the Gold Coast. So as it was, I didn't get down to Melbourne until mid-January because things were still going to happen sort of December and that before Christmas that there was a possibility we we're going to go to the Gold Coast. Robbie Ross obviously had already gone to Melbourne. He was a first, one of the, I think he was the first signing um, for Melbourne. And obviously, you know, we folded, Perth Reds had folded. So hence half of the Melbourne Storm was half. There was seven of us from the Mariners. There was probably nine or probably even more from the Perth Reds and a few individuals that were added in, you know, to that team. Obviously, my relationship with Chris Anderson um, played a big part in that uh, signing with Melbourne. And, and we spoke, obviously, players had to go somewhere from the club. And, you know, I spoke with Noddy a bit. And we, you know, obviously, our combination that we created at the Mariners became very successful. And, you know, to have that sort of, in a way, the spine from one club to go down there and, and play part in the inaugural year in Melbourne, um, there was a lot of exciting things about it. You know, to go to a, a city where they didn't really know much about rugby league at all, AFL, you know, heartland. Um, yeah, it was, as, as I said, as a 20-year-old, an opportunity like that was pretty hard to sort of knock back, you know. And you know the club's run by a guy like John Rebo that was successful in, one, you know, being part of the first CEO at the, at the, uh, the Brisbane Broncos and that such a successful club. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, it wasn't a hard decision. Um, and, you know, I put it back down to, you know, one of the best decisions I ever made in my career. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be at that club for nine years. And you know, 
and you'll speak to players through when you do these podcasts that have been at that club that that club changed as people not just rugby league players but it it's a club that you what you learn the principles the morals and the and the culture of that club change you as a person and make you become a successful person no matter what you do in life and um you know that club itself speaks for itself <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They don't have to put too much into words. Um, their actions speak for themselves, and they have done for the last 20 years. Mate, what you said is exactly right. Whenever I do talk some of the Melbourne Storm, I mean, off the top of my head, I've had Finchie, Brett White. I had Branko Lee on the other day. And, mate, in the nicest way possible, it almost gets boring because everyone everyone just has this amazing story down there. They become a bit like it. It's all a very similar story that you walk in there as a good footy player, you, you walk out as a much better bloke. And, you know, all these guys, they just seem so sad to leave Melbourne when, when their time comes. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it is. It's... You know, it's a it's a big family down there, and like any family, you have good mentors, you have good role models, and you have good people around you. You know, all successful people, whether it be business people, sports people, or anything, they always talk about the people that they're around. Um, you know, the behaviours they learn and the habits that they develop. You know, and that's what that crate club does is it helps you develop a very very good habits, and habits are things that you do where you don't have to think about how you behave, and you know they've proven. What we created at that club, and they've continued to carry on with the same principles. You know, there's, and they've had it the last two years. The most successful sporting franchise in Australasia. You know, not just on the field, but how they create an opportunity for people off the field, and they show respect for each other and, and the way they behave. Um, so it's it's uh, it's pretty successful. And and when you talk to players that have been there, it's not rocket science either. It's about being self. Um, we're not told when to come home when we go out after a game we don't need to be told how to behave we have a a sense of self uh, respect respect for the club and the people around you and you've got to make choices for yourself and you know you learn that and you know they uh, as I said they've created some pretty successful uh, people out of that club Mate, speaking of successful people, obviously the six jersey, uh, it's been worn by some pretty special players. It's going to be worn by more special players as we move into the future. You being the first ever six at the club, pretty special, and also scoring the first ever try for the club, pretty impressive. Yeah, look, it was, uh, I remember that night quite clear. I actually got two, I got a double that night. I was trying to stay <laughs> modest for you, but anyway, off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Take it while I can, mate. It's no, been I a back while. it, I back it, 100%. Shoot, mate. Um, yeah, look. Yeah, it was. It's um, you know, to wear the number six jersey and to have the the uh, the badge number six badge um, in Melbourne Storm history. And yeah, it's it's something that I'm yeah very very grateful of. And it's something that I'll never never ever take advantage of and never ever um, disrespect um, in any way. And you're right. There's been some successful sixes come after me. That's for sure. And um, I just think it's 
it's just the respect of having to, the opportunity to wear a purple jumper. And every player will talk to you about that. It's about the pride in wearing a purple jumper and um, whether it's got a six on or whatever it's got on it, if you're the first six, the second six or the, or the hundred six in, in a hundred years' time, the respect for that jumper will be the same. Mate, obviously when starting a new franchise, uh, the marquee man um, you know, is just so important. And I'm not sure if the Melbourne Storm could have landed a better marquee man to kick off here. Glenn Lazarus, one of the most successful footballers we've ever seen. Tell me about Glenn, mate. Yeah, Lazo was a, um, he was a great leader and he was someone that you had to earn his respect. You know, he come through that old strong culture and he, he did it in his actions, you know, to win premierships at three different clubs and, and numerous premierships is a lot about the guy. Um, and he was a great, great role model for the group that we had then great leader and, and a great, ambassador for rugby league in a city that we know who rugby league was or what rugby league was so you know a great human being probably I still put him down as probably if not the best one of the best front rowers to ever play the game had to beat what he what he was capable of and um, massive motor big man but a massive motor again something I'm, I'm fortunate and grateful of the opportunity to, to have you know shared the same jumper as the guy Mate, in that first season, you guys obviously play finals footy. Pretty impressive for a new franchise, obviously. Um, you get done, I believe, in the prelim final against the, the, the Brisbane Broncos. Obviously, I mean, I've got this side in front of me now. It's like a, it's like a kangaroo's jersey in a Broncos kit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And um, look, for us, I think we shocked a lot of teams. I think we won, it, we, yeah, we won our first five games, you know. And, you know, no one was expecting that. But... We knew what we were capable of. We're, we're a good, we're a good combination of really good experience between Glenn Lazarus, you know, Tawara Nickow, you know, Rodney Howe, Robbie Kern, some guys like that 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 have, you know, had been successful. But we also had that youth and that excitement, and you know, I guess high energy to to want to play footy and love playing footy, you know. And so I think we finished third. We finished third on the ladder in our first season, you know, and. It's pretty, pretty, you know, amazing, you know, and, you know, it says about itself what happened the next year. Mate, obviously at the end of that game, uh, you're in the change rooms after. Can you tell me, was there was there a feeling of, oh, you know, like that that was a good knock for our first season or what was it devastation? You'd missed an opportunity. Like I imagine it's a pretty unique situation to play the Brisbane Broncos in that last game, you know, the, the probably the best team in the competition at that point. It's your first season. You've overachieved, but you obviously wanted to lift that trophy. What what was the sort of emotions around that? It's just such a unique situation. Yeah, look, it's, um, I think each individual is take it differently. Oh, I hate losing any game, no matter a semi-final in that, in that sort of circumstance or, or, or one, you know, you know, I, I think, yeah, there was some excitement and some really great respect for us that we got out of that. And, yeah, missing that opportunity to, you know, go two more games and, and win a premiership in our first year was, you know, it's it's disappointing, obviously. But, um, you know, sitting down and thinking back deeply about it was then it was the excitement about what we were capable of the next year, you know. And, you know, we proved that the next year. Myself, obviously, missing out because of injury was disappointing. But to the club and what they created was, um, yeah, pretty, 
amazing to go into any professional sporting, you know, environment and to win a premiership on in your second year is. I don't think there's too many sports in the world that's done it. Mate, uh, before we get to the 99 season, I want to ask you about uh, one of your teammates fr- from the Hunter and then obviously in Melbourne, Brett Kamali. For me, he is criminally underrated in rugby league. Um, obviously came through the same time as a couple of really handy halves. I mean, came through the same town essentially as Andrew Johns. I mean, is there any yep. tougher gig? Anyone? Ha- I mean, I was, I was looking at a big league the other day and it had in the same Newcastle reserve grade, it had both of the Kamalis, both of the Johnses, like unbelievable to think that these four came through at pretty much the exact same time. It's yes. unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, look, Noddy, we came through. We actually we played Hunter Hunter uh, Region under 11s together at school. Separated at birth, the, you two. Went to the. It was funny. The same blokes. Darren Albert was in the same side. Jamie Feeney was in the same side. Yeah, a few that come through um, successful there. But um, Nod was a. He's just a competitor, none more so, I don't think, that I'd played with. He reminded me a lot of Terry Lamb, similar sort of attributes, you know, but for everything. And, you know, yeah, heavily underrated, you know, in, in how his career sort of went. Um, you know, whether whether when he left Melbourne that had an impact, I just think when he won the World Cup, he, he was the best halfback in the world and Andrew Johns was playing hooker, you know. So that says a lot about the guy. And, you know, certain people look at different things with Origin. He threw that pass at Matty Bowen and different things like that. And But you look at his success rate, you know, at you know, club level and, and, and even at rep level, still successful and just a, just a competitor and a great, a great bloke in, the, in, in everything part of it, you know. Mate, we're, we're sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but I just want to ask you, obviously, you, you mentioned that World Cup where Noddy was playing halfback, Joey was at nine, and the one thing that I find super interesting, every time Matty Johns talks about it, how Andrew just essentially hated every other halfback, he'd, he'd nitpick with them, he'd find something wrong with them every time, and mate, was there any tension on that camp from, from Joey at all? Obviously, being forced to play hooker, play out of position, I imagine... From what I've gathered, you know, from hearing Matt Johns talk about it, he never used to take that stuff overly well. Look, um, show it. Um, we had a good time. Obviously, Joe, yeah, would have loved to be in the seven, I suppose. But look at the side that we had. It was a – you look at football teams now, it was a team full of footballers. <laughs> um, to have Andrew Johns as your nine, Kamali as your seven, Bittler as your six, and I was playing lock. Then you had a guy – called Darren Lockyer at fullback. He had a back line where you've got Wendell Saylor and Matt Rogers on the wing and Ryan Gurdler and Matt Gidley in the centres, you know. So there's a little bit of football in that team and a bit of punch up front. You've got two back rows, Brian Fletcher and, and a bloke called Gordon Tallis who likes ripping blokes' heads off. Um, we had a good mix of football, toughness, and uh, we proved that in that World Cup. You know, they, and, and to tell you the truth, New Zealand had a very, very strong side also, but yeah, we were a little bit too good for everyone that year. Mate, you must have been looking around that change room and, and just pinching yourself just quietly. Yeah, as a 23-year-old, mate, um, you know, I, I think to myself, wow, you know, and, you know, again, it's something that I'll never, ever, you know, for granted um, to have the the gratitude I show for, for having those you're forever grateful and um, yeah the guys that we had but we had good characters you know guys like Benny Kennedy and Darren Britt um, Jason Croker you know 
um, Heine and and, and um, Baz were on it as well. You know, there's a lot of there's a good mix of depth and characters, and you know, um, we enjoyed ourselves. We we had a we, we hydrated ourselves really well that World Cup. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, uh, take me back to 1999. Obviously, second season in the competition for Melbourne. Uh, we all know how it finishes. Melbourne win the grand final. Um, the controversial grand final with the penalty try and everything. But, mate, I imagine for you, um, you know, must have been a pretty tough pill to swallow that year. Can you can you run us through the season that was 99 for you? It was tough. Um, yeah, we started the season well. We were flying and obviously it was travelling pretty well. And I... Um, Actually, I remember playing. We played the Broncos, and I sort of half made a break in a game, and I made a break and I passed. And I, I felt me shot as I hit the ground. I felt me shot to pop out and pop straight back in. Um, I got rubbed at half time and I ended up playing out the game. And then I went and had an MRI that week, and the MRI didn't show anything. I still feel there wasn't some, there was a lot of loss in strength and so forth. But I, we went to Perth the next week, and we beat the West. Uh, we beat Western Suburbs by about seventy, I think, in Perth, and. And then came back and it was origin time and lost a few players and, and I was still struggling a bit. But Chris Anderson said, look, I still want you to play. And we went to Canberra. We played there on a Saturday night and I remember it. And I wasn't real good. And I, I remember coming off the game and I just, oh, what, it was, I'd heard it. And I didn't have the strength and I just, it was something not right. So I got back into Melbourne, I think. And that, that Monday I went in and had an arthroscope and I clearly remember, you know, the physio, Tony Ayu, um, I woke up after having the arthroscope and she said, mate, you're done. Your season's over. Um, you're going in for a Rico in a couple of weeks. And that was obviously was a disappointment not to know that, you know, the team would go on and, you know, win a premiership. A, a tough a tough pill to swallow personally, but from a club point of view, couldn't be more prouder and be part of such a great um, occasion and a great opportunity, you know. And sometimes you win some, you lose some, and you just – that's just why it is, you know, and I missed that one. And, you know, the next time I get an opportunity in 06, we probably go into the game as favourites and we're the most successful team that year by a country mile. And, yeah, we just we fall short. Um, and and then I move and I go, that was my opportunity, you know, and I go on to, to play in England, you know. So don't worry, every day I wake up still and I think about those sorts of things and the opportunities I miss because they go on and win the next year and, you know, the next couple of years, you know. So it's, yeah, a tough pill to swallow, but that's life, you know, and you learn through things and you, you grow from it. And as I said, I'm, I'm forever grateful for being part of that club, whether you win, lose, or, or you know, miss grand finals and so forth. Um, what that club has given me and um, helped me become is, you know, I always hold that club uh, and be in debt with that club. Mate, you mentioned earlier, obviously, 1999, um, not an easy year for you off the field as well. You, you mentioned getting bumped on the head or something at home, mate. What what was the story there? Yeah, I was I was actually just got out of, got my shoulder out of a sling and I went, I actually went, because we were originally from Dubbo and we used to go fishing out west around Burke and that um, every year went before I became professional and time of the year I flew into Dubbo and I, I went had a week out fishing out on the river with my dad and my brothers and then I actually went home to, to foster uh, my hometown for a, for a weekend and one of the blokes I used to play with just had a baby and we're out had beers and went to a nightclub and this is what happened I, I get told because I lost a full month of memory of my whole life don't don't remember anything um, I was outside and my brother was 
in an altercation or whatever, and apparently a um, a lady um, hit me straight across the face with a star picket post, um, and then I've fallen and my head's slapped and hit the gutter, completely passed out. There's blood coming out my ear. You can imagine my my dad when he gets woken up by one of my best mates and um, says, "Ray, you got to come down here. Scott's been um, knocked out." You know, so he gets down there, and then the, as the ambulance gets there, and um, I don't come to, I don't think until about halfway to Tari Hospital. Um, wow. And I don't respond to anyone until my uh, my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, um, arrives hospital late the next day. Wow. Um, so I was in intensive care, bruising on my brain for a week, and then I. Then I spent two weeks, I think, at my hometown. People would come to visit me, and I had to keep having CAT scans before I could fly back to Melbourne, so to make sure that everything was right. But as I said, yeah, I, even the great Ken Cowley and um, come and visit me in the hospital in Tari, and you know, Ken was part of the news limited of the storm and everything there. And find out, my mum told me about six years later. Oh, no, no, about six years after I retired, Ken was saw me, and I went and saw him and. And there were so many people that come and saw me, and I don't, I don't remember a full month where I lost all my memory. So, yeah, it was a, and then it was obviously I had to keep getting CAT scans to make sure that I was able to be able to go back into a contact sport. Um, so, yeah, um, it was a tough year for me, 99. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was in August before the grand final. So, you know, but um, look at the end of the day, yeah like that make you a better person make you stronger about who you are and um, make you determined to, to work even harder and I, and I probably had the toughest and the biggest preseason I had of my whole career and hence the the return of um, the opportunity to play Origin playing an Anzac Day test and win a World Cup in 2000 individually it was um, yeah it was a was a good year in 2000 6am next Tuesday we'll have part two of our Scott Hill interview a really interesting bit obviously talks about his state of origin debut the infamous grenade throw from Brian Fletcher his kangaroos debut in the year 2000 and then Scott Hill takes us through the next five or six years at the Melbourne Storm the emergence of a guy named Cameron Smith who in his first game played halfback his 5'8 partner was Scott Hill he talks about how impressed he was in his first game he talks about a guy that came through Billy Slater he talks about another guy that came through Cooper Cronk so Scott Hill he was on the ground watching these all-time legends come through as kids. He was also there the day Craig Craig Bellamy arrived and there's a really interesting story in 2006 where Craig Bellamy makes a really tough decision on Scott Hill and at the time he was upset about it but he looks back now and he, he believes that it built what the Melbourne Storm are now and the structures they have and the sense of pride that they have to own your jersey and that if you're not doing a job you won't be in the team. It's a fantastic uh, interview part two really exciting to look at the just the foundations of the Melbourne Storm. Scott Hill obviously left in 2006 from the Melbourne Storm. He was there from 98 to 2006. So all that groundwork, Craig Bellamy, Cooper Cronk, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, he was there for all of it. A really interesting chat next Tuesday, 6 a.m. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 